Turn with me to Deuteronomy, please, chapter 5. Deuteronomy, chapter 5. The topic this morning is from Mount Sinai to Mount Zion. From Mount Sinai to Mount Zion. Just a few verses. Deuteronomy 5, verse 22. These words the Lord spake unto all your assembly in the mount, out of the midst of the fire, of the cloud, and of the thick darkness, with a great voice. And he added no more. And then he wrote them in two tables of stone and delivered them unto me. And it came to pass when you heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness. For the mountain did burn with fire. That you came near unto me, even all the heads of your tribes and your elders. And you said, Behold, the Lord our God hath showed us his glory and his greatness. And we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. We have seen this day that God doth talk with man, and he liveth. Now therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God, any more we shall die. For who is there of all flesh that hath heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of fire as we have and lived. Will you turn with me then to the book of Hebrews, Mark, Deuteronomy 5. Book of Hebrews, please, chapter 12. Hebrews 12, please. Let your eye run down to verse 18. Verse 18. For you are not come unto the mount that might be touched, and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet, and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the words should not be spoken to them any more. Speaking about Deuteronomy 5, we have read here. For they could not endure that which was commanded, and if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. But ye are come to Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant unto the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. See that ye refuse him not that speaketh. For if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. Let's pray. Father, we pray now that you would speak to our hearts, speak to this people. We ask you, Father, that you would move upon each and every one of us in whatever way you deem it fit, Lord. But, Lord, would you do something within us today as your people? If there's one or some that has not yet come to saving faith and knowledge in your Son, the Lord Jesus, we pray this morning that they would not refuse him, as your scripture has said, but they would receive him, be born of the Spirit, and washed in the blood, regenerated as Pastor Glenn has said. And we ask you, Father, that you would move from seat to seat and heart to heart to bless and encourage, to convict and to compel, Lord. Have thine own way and do thy will. Glorify your Son. For Jesus' name's sake, I pray and ask it. Amen. Amen. We have Mount Sinai in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Israel are at the foot of the mountain. No man can come to even so much as touch the mountain or they'll be consumed. An animal touches the mountain, it is to be killed. And this shows and proves the holiness of God. 
how men and women can never reach that place with God on their own merit. We have, and I'm going to use the words of Pastor Glenn when he spoke this morning around the table, we have the unregenerate Israel, the unregenerate, the unsaved. And then in Hebrews chapter 12, we have the regenerate Israel, those who are saved and in the faith, those who are following Christ and know Christ, and they are in Mount Zion. Take note here in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy 5, we have those who cannot come close nor near. And in Hebrews 12 in Zion, we have those who are told to draw near, that we are come to this through Christ our Lord. And if you were to look at Deuteronomy chapter 5 for a moment, if you notice in our reading, we see in verse 22, the words of the Lord spake unto your assembly in the mount. Notice out of the midst of the fire and the cloud and the thick darkness. The thick darkness here we'll look at more intensely this morning than the others, but the fire. Why fire? Fire speaks of purity, of power, and of holiness. Our faith is purged or refined in fire to make our faith a greater faith, a better faith. And hence we go through trials and the fire it purges us. At times it's not, it's not nice, it's not easy. But when we go through the fire, it purges us, removes the dross and removes those things, the faults that, that we so habitually turn to. But the fire here, you see, God in his mercy shows himself as fire. The mountain is on fire. We think of the burning bush. God's speaking out of the fire of the burning bush. And it wasn't consumed when Moses seen it. We think of the pillar of fire that led Israel in the nighttime. That pillar of fire that they were able to see in the darkness. And we see that God is now showing himself in a way that they will recognize. Then when we come the whole way through, there's other instances of Acts chapter 2. And the, and the birth of what we know as, as the church today, the ecclesia, the called out ones, come the 120 in the upper room, and the Spirit comes and sits like cloven tongues as a fire upon each and every one of them that were there that day. And the thing about it is for you and I is that God leads us as believers, as Christians, and God guides us and speaks to us and deals with us as we follow him and go on with him in ways that we come to understand and come to know. In other words, there's, I'll talk about my, myself. There, there's times when things are happening and I don't understand in my own heart, in my own life, why things are, are the way they are or why I am the way I am or thinking the way I think. And whenever I'm walking with the Lord and talking with the Lord about these things, I find that I come to a place where I wake up as it were, I understand that God is dealing with me because something is about to happen or change. And so he equips me. And if you have a walk with the Lord, and I'm speaking about a walk with the Lord, I'm not talking about a Sunday service uh, morning or an evening or uh, maybe a little bless me prayer time in a sense. I'm talking about a walk with the Lord in the Spirit, in the Holy Ghost. If you know him closely, if you love him as you should love him because he first loved you, if you have that communion and that fellowship with him, then you'll understand that he will speak to you in his word, absolutely. But he will speak and lead you in ways that you will come to recognize how he has led before, to recognize what he's done before in you, to recognize how he's spoken before in your heart because you are in communion with him and in fellowship with him and hence he's brought you this way before with him. You're going the new path for you haven't gone that way before but here he is equipping you and reminding you of how he has dealt with you there's times I'm thinking, I don't know what's next, Lord, and I don't know what's going on in me, Lord, and I don't know why I'm thinking like this, Lord, 
But suddenly then I realized, this is familiar to me. The fire in the burning bush, the fire in the pillar of fire, the, the fire like cloven tongues, and, and there's other instances. And for me, it may be something different for you. There's ways that God deals and speaks, that God leads us, that we realize, God, you're about to move. You're about to do something. You're about to change something. He comes to us in familiar ways. And then, of course, then we're told he speaks out of it. And he sa- it says that there was, <clears throat> verse 22, out of the midst of the fire, of the cloud, and of the thick darkness. Notice, with a great voice. And when I think of the cloud, I think of how he speaks out of the cloud when he is when our Lord Jesus is being baptized. I think of the pillar of cloud as he leads Israel in the wilderness. So God is usually using similar things throughout the scripture that we're not too unfamiliar that we can see his leading. Get to know him, brother and sister. Draw nigh unto God and he will draw nigh unto you. And he will lead you if you set your heart to seek for him, he'll lead you. If you set your heart after him, get to know him. May it never be enough that when we're satisfied with his presence at that moment, may it never be enough that we continue to search after more. More of him. More of his leading. More of his fellowship. I had written this during the week and yesterday I thought I'll I'll go out again with me and the prayer partner and he's walking on the lead. And I started walking. Sometimes, you know, I do a lot of walking, as you know, when I'm out uh, praying, pardon me, when I'm out walking and, and... a lot, of the, a lot of the times, the Lord drops something into my heart, a, a word, a scripture, a message, a thought, and I go home and read and pray about it. could be for days or even a few weeks before I put pen to paper. And yesterday, I went out for a walk, and I kept walking, and I kept talking, and I felt even just walking, and the cars are whizzing past me. I kept walking and I kept talking and near six miles later I'm still walking and talking to the Lord. He starts dropping things into my heart. Starts speaking into my life. See, it was familiar to me because he knows that's where to find me. Where would God find you? Where would God find you? More often we are found in places where it's carnal and worldly rather than find us in the place of prayer. Walked nearly six miles. Dog's paws were near wore down. My shoes were near wore out. And my throat was nearly sore talking to him that much but it was him talking to me, dropping things into my life, scriptures coming to me. Even we songs used to sing, and I'm walking along like some head the ball walking up the, up the street singing. Pretend I'm singing to a dog or talking to him. Draw near to him. Draw close to him. And he will show you more of him. When he's about to do something in my life, I realize I, I, I search and then suddenly this is a familiar place I'm in, Lord. Because when I'm here, you're about to do something. I don't know what it is. I may not understand it fully, but you're about to do it. And out of the fire and out of the cloud, they would be very familiar the things of God and a voice coming from 
this mountain of fire and, and cloud, they were familiar. And notice again, there was a, a great voice, it says. Do you know this term, great voice? I looked it up, and the exact term, a great voice, or the great voice, that term is used six times, six times in the book of Revelation alone. Great voice. Will you turn with me quickly to Revelation chapter 1? Revelation 1, please. And let's right. Just run down for time's sake to verse 10. John's in the Isle of Patmos and he says, I was in the spirit. Notice he's not in the... Yes, he's in his body, but he's not... Being carnal, he's not sitting in his his rock rock cave in, in or wherever he stayed in in Patmos. He says, "But I was in the spirit, capital S, spirit of God. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book and." Send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, on the Ephesus, and on the Smyrna, on the Pergamos, on the Thyatira, and on the Sardis, on the Philadelphia, and on the Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. Notice, he's now hearing a voice. And where was the voice? Behind him. What does the Lord say through the prophet? And thou shalt hear a voice behind thee when they go to turn to the left or the right. In other words, you're pointing the wrong direction. Turn to the voice of God. The unsaved are walking, as it were, away from God continually. The unsaved know nothing of God continually. And they are sinning habitually. And notice here, John says, the voice was behind me and I turned. Many Christians have, have disregarded the word of God and disregarded the voice of God disregarded what God is saying unto them and walking, as it were, with their back toward them. And he says, when you go to turn to the left hand or you go to turn to the right hand, he says, thou shalt hear a voice behind thee saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. And when you do a 180 degree turn, it's called repentance. Walking this way, the voice behind you, repent. Walking this way, the Lord's voice calls you. It's repentance. And John turns to see the voice. How do you see a voice? These are some of the splendors and the wonders and the majesty of the Lord. And go with me, if you will. This is the last one of Revelation of the great voices. And turn with me, if you will, to Revelation chapter 21. Chapter 21. I notice this, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. There was no more sea. And I, John, saw a holy city, the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. That's the redeemed bride of God. That's the blood washed. That's the saved, the regenerate. The born, born, born again ones, the ones born of God. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, notice, a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Do you notice this? John saying, I heard a voice behind me. The prophets say in Israel that there will be a time when there will be a voice behind you saying, you're walking the wrong way. You're walking away from God, away from his word, away from his will. You're pretending he's not there. Return back to him again. Am I speaking to someone, but rather is the Spirit speaking to someone this morning? And he's saying, you know you've walked away. You know you're not saved. You know you're not right. You know you must be born again. Maybe to someone who's walked away and said, you know you must come back, child. You know you must turn around and come back to me. 
maybe to a stubborn Christian, when God's word has been taught and told you, maybe even for years, there's some Christians, and it doesn't matter how much you thunder out the word of God or how much you softly speak the word of God, they don't even hear it. And they continue on in like manner as they were before. And their heart is not touched, nor their direction changed. The voice, don't forget, came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. The voice came at the mountain. This is my beloved son, hear ye him. So God is speaking to Israel here. And in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, turn to Deuteronomy 5 again, please. And in Deuteronomy 5, you're going to see how Israel are far from God, standing aloof from the mountain. There's a thick darkness. A thick darkness. This word here for thick and darkness is a word, arafel. Arafel. And it simply means a gross darkness or a lowering or drooping sky. In other words, on that mountain alone, the sky seemed as if it just dropped in darkness. The darkness just dropped on it. And Israel are back watching this. There's fire, thick darkness of cloud. And a voice comes out and speaks. Is it any wonder the Israelites were afraid? Is it any wonder they thought they were going to die? Is it any wonder they were petrified? And even according to the book of Hebrews chapter 12 that Moses says, I, 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 I'm so afraid I, I'm quaking exceedingly or I exceedingly quake. You see, the fear of God has left many in the church. Ah, oh, but perfect love casts out fear. Yeah, but that's speaking. That's speaking of those who are redeemed. You may say, yes, but I'm redeemed. Yes, but it's not a judgmental fear. It's a reverential fear. To reverence the Lord. Do you see if the Lord came down in power and glory right now? every one of us would be screaming and squealing and laying on our faces before him. Why the thick darkness? Why such a word as this to say as if it's just a gross darkness? I thought about this and this is what I've thought. It says... There was a thick darkness. Now, the Lord can be in the midst of a thick darkness, but he isn't the thick darkness. The thick darkness shows the veil that's between God and the sinner. Showing that uh, our hearts are as dark before God as that thick darkness of a cloud is. The thick darkness, it's like a veil between Israel and the Lord. You see, this is unregenerate man, Israel man standing. But by the time we come to Hebrews 12, through the blood of Christ, by the time we come to Hebrews 12, saved and sealed by the Spirit, we're come on the Zion where we're, now able to not only just touch the mountain as it were, it speaks spiritually. This is a spiritual Zion. We're able to come in under the, through the blood of Christ. We don't see darkness. All we hear is the singing of an innumerable company of angels. But more to the fact we are concerned and aware and conscious of the presence of the living Lord Jesus. Thick darkness, here's the Lord. The thick darkness, and Israel there at the bottom of it. But in Christ, 
Here we are in the new covenant. Brought in the fellowship with the Father. This thick darkness or this gross darkness like the sky has dropped right down upon this mountain. It also gives the idea that God is extremely merciful and gracious. Because if his thick darkness wasn't there, you know what would happen? Israel would have been consumed. And so in mercy, he knew Israel. He knows our frame that we are but dust, the psalmist says. He knows that we're but dust. And he knows that we couldn't stand in, in his unveiled glory. And that which they've seen, they say, we have seen the glory of the Lord. Isn't this amazing? And even in church we say, We've, it, well, the Lord was surely in our midst and his presence was with us. And Isn't it amazing? Brothers and sisters, sometimes with the, the veil of darkness, sometimes or with the veil of our flesh even, sometimes with our carnal minds, God's glory is bigger. God's glory is greater than what we have experienced. And what we can even feel or think or see. And I believe God is only waiting for you and I to put all things aside that he might break forth and break out among us. He's got a greater glory. He's just veiling it because we couldn't handle it. We couldn't handle it should he break out among us. For this land of ours, United Kingdom and Ireland across these islands there's a darkness a thick darkness darkness of gross immorality darkness of gross sin and the only reason we are not consumed that is our nation is not consumed is because of the mercy of God. I wonder how long that mercy will hold until the cup of our nation is full. I wonder is there someone here you're not saved and that's you. There's a, there's a void between you and God because you're not in Christ. You can't come to Mount Sion. You're still, as it were, at Sinai. There's a darkness there. Is that you? You can come to Zion this morning if you come to Jesus. If you come to Christ. So take note here, brothers and sisters, this great darkness that was over the mountain. If you, I read it out, I've written it out for time's sake, but in Psalm 97 and verse 2, Psalmist seems to be rehearsing these things. And he mentions clouds and darkness are round about him. The Lord. Clouds and darkness are round about him. Surely even the thought of this speaks of the, the wrath as well. The wrath of God. Rumblings of it. Notice clouds and darkness are round about him. Righteousness and judgment are the habitation of his throne. In other words, where he is and what he is, and what he's seated on, as it were, everything is judgment and righteousness. Judgment and righteousness. In other words, he's just in everything he does. God is justified in everything he does. Justified in his dealings with man. And he's justified and he will be justified when those who are not saved are said, he says, depart from me, I don't know you. Because he came to justify you and I and those who have not received the Savior that don't know the Lord. Justification will not be theirs, but rather the righteousness of God demands, the righteousness of God demands that penalty be paid and made. And Jesus paid the penalty. He took our sin. Notice in John, 1 John 1 and verse 5, John tells us God is light. Would you say light? 
And in him is no darkness at all. God is light. So what about this darkness? Yes, he can be through the darkness. You know what it tells me? That in your darkest moment, your darkest storm, the Lord's still there. You may not see it. You may not understand it, but he's still there. But John tells us that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And the light that we see here, we're grateful we have these lights up and they're able to light up even in the daytime because it would be still quite shady here. But here's the thing. In Exodus 25, the Lord's telling Moses about the Ark of the Covenant, which represents and is a type of the coming Christ years ahead. In that Ark of the Covenant, there's a pot of manna. God fed them manna. There's the commandments of the ten moral law commandments. An orange rod that budded, blossomed, and bloomed. In that Ark, it's and that all speaks of Christ. For example, the manna, the Lord Jesus says, I am the bread of life. It's not right. The law, the Lord Jesus says, thinking that I am come to destroy the law, but that the law might be fulfilled. He's the word of the Father. He's the word of God. And the orange rod was a stick, wasn't it? Just a stick, a rod. But when led before God, what happened? It budded blossomed and bloomed is not right well here's the thing it speaks of what death out of death comes life i am the resurrection and the life and so here it speaks of christ that little box alone overlaid with gold and was put into the tabernacle that hadn't windows the way we have and lights the way we have and it was pitch black inside it so what did the lord say to moses make a seven branch golden candlestick pure gold and bring it in you have seven little lights on it. He says, light it up and feed it with the purest of oil. People call it green oil, fresh oil. And it meant it wasn't, it wasn't tampered with. It meant that it hadn't got manhandled, really. It was more pure to burn in the tabernacle at this time. But it lit up. And it says, put it over against where the Ark of the Covenant is. You know why? Because the oil speaks of the Holy Spirit and the light that it bring, that he brings. And put into that dark uh, skin-covered tent, a tabernacle, it lit up and the gold would just gleam in the darkness. That, uh, uh, the Holy Spirit is to take the things of Christ. He says, he will take the things of me and show them unto you. And as he puts it over against it and the high priest lights it, it just lights it up and it gleams and it shows off the coming Christ. Well, here's the thing. There's darkness and in it is light. There's darkness and in it is light. Now take note. God is light and this light, as we're thankful for it, but there's actually dark spots in the light that we have. Or I can't see it, but there's dark spots through the light. It's not a pure light. It's not an unadulterated light. Not like the oil burning in the tabernacle. By the way, unadulterated meant, it gives the idea that Holy Ghost anointing, Holy Ghost power, when the Spirit of God truly moves on a heart, it's not messed around with man's ideology and theology. It's not something that comes from the, the brain or the thoughts of someone and their application of it. Pure, holy, ghost moving. Unadulterated by man's hand. This oil was so pure. Lights up the tabernacle. Gleams upon it. If you read Exodus 25, you go home and says, put it over against it. It means that it will shine and the glory gleams. Lights up the whole darkened room. And that's when Christ comes, he says, I am the what? The light of life. He's saying, I am, as it were, the menorah, that seven branch candlestick. I am the Holy Ghost in it. I am the light of it. I am the furniture in it. In other words, all that speaks of me. I am the light of the world. 
He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. So we're moving now from Mount Sinai, unregenerate Israel, to Sinai, coming close and up to it, and right onto the mount, as it were, of regenerate Israel. And that's where we are if we're saved this morning. If we're blood-washed this morning. If we know Christ this morning. See, and God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And God is, it gives the idea that God, his nature, his essence, his character, everything about him is light. There's no darkness in him. There's a wee bit of darkness in you and I. Sometimes our thoughts in our flesh, sometimes in our actions, in our moods, in our temperaments, they're not the fruit of the Spirit. It's wee bits of darkness. This old body. You see, God is light, and if the Spirit of God is in us, that's why the Spirit wars or lusts against the flesh and the flesh against the Spirit, and that's why we should be reforming every day. In other words, we should be transformed by the renewing of our minds according to the Word of God. Because we're in, we're at Mount Zion. We're in a glorious company. The spirits of just men made perfect. That is perfected through the blood. Perfected in Christ. We're come to this Mount Zion, to the new Jerusalem, the, the great golden city as it were. You and I are it. That's how God sees you through the blood of Christ, in the righteousness of Christ. God sees us as that, as the bride of Revelation chapter 21 we read about. As the new Jerusalem, the heavenly city, made up of living and lively stones that you and I are. We find here, we find here that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Matthew 6, please. Matthew 6. Let your eye run down for a few verses, please. Matthew 6, verse 22. For the light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. I ask you, is your eye always single? <laughs> Don't mean have you got one eye. <laughs> it doesn't mean that your eyes are so close together you can see through a keyhole at the same time with both eyes. Is your eye single for the Lord? Because we all find that it's not all the time. Hence, that little bit of darkness. Now listen to what the Lord says. Listen to this. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil or carnal, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, he asks, how great is that darkness? And no man can serve two masters. So we tend to serve self and serve the Lord or we serve something else and serve the Lord. And he says, your eye can't be single your eye can't be single and full of light. That's why we live in the grace of God. That's why we need His grace every day. That's why that we need to plead the blood of the Lamb over our lives. Because it's the blood that cleanses us. It's the Spirit that seals us. And it's His grace that covers us. I say amen. amen. I'm going to have to round this up. For time's flowing up. Of about four or five pages and haven't got down halfway down the first one yet. So what we'll do is maybe another week on it. Might have to miss it for next week and then the week after. We'll see. We don't know what way to take it. Notice here, Psalm 119 and 105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. 
in Psalm 119 and 130, it says, The entrance of thy words giveth light. Now, take note of this, because sometimes when we say about uh, being a light in a dark place, and listen, and we should be, we're meant to be, that's who we are to be, uh, sometimes we think it has to be some hyper-spiritual person where, you know, we're so heavily minded that we're no earthly use. Uh, We're all Mary, 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 and not a bit of Martha. And sometimes we think to show that, then we go to the other extreme where we go to works. It's all Martha, 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 and nothing of Mary, rather than a balance. Take note of this. The entrance of thy word giveth light. What is the light there? What, is it, what does it say to you? What gives you light? The entrance of what? The Lord's word. What is the light? The word is the light. And, and, and in church today, the word is being what? Diminished. Time for the preaching is cut down. The word no longer is hardly in many places giving light, but rather a dim flicker at times at the most. The word is the light. The word in your heart is the light. I love to sing and I'm so delighted that Tim came on board to help with the worship and Billy stood up to take the place there to lead it uh, with, with, with the guitar and all the other musicians and singers. I'm delighted I don't have to do it anymore. Well, the old time will have to do it, Billy, but that's whenever you do want to. No. <laughs> And I love singing, don't get me wrong, I, I can worship all day, I, I can worship for an hour. But if you go to say, you know, we'll worship for an hour and we'll preach, an hour, we'll preach for 10 minutes. No, brothers and sisters, the word has, it has the preeminence. You see, to be careful way I say this. Let's just say I pastored a certain church, okay? Not this one. One before this one. I didn't say the one before this one. I said one before this one. Because I was in a, I was in a Dublin before that night. Well, it wasn't there either. So uh, anyway, we're cutting it down now, aren't we? And I was only there a week or two. The oversight asked me to meet them. I sat with the oversight and they said, Pastor... We just want to let you know, on a Sunday evening, 15 to 20 minutes at the max will do you. I said, thank you, boys, for meeting up with me and letting me know that. I says, get another pastor. What? I said, go get someone else. I can hardly get past my introduction in 20 minutes. That's what I said. And not put that to bed. So it's the entrance of thy word. Now, if I do a part two on this, I know some might not hear it, but you can get it online. If I do a part two, I want to show you that the law and the commandment is what matters. People are throwing the law of God out because it's all hyper grace. Now, listen, how do you know what you're saved from if you don't know what the law says? How do you know what you're saved from if you don't know what the law is? Do you ever go down the street and you're not sure of the speed? And you're, I had to do a speed awareness course recently. <laughs> Forgive me, Father, I have sinned. <laughs> well, it was last year, actually, I think it was. And I think it was last year. Anyway, show these pictures of the streets and it says, what speed is that? I went, oh, that's. 40. No. Uh-uh. 30. What do you do when there's so many lampposts on the side of the street and you know what speed you're doing? I went, oh, well, that must be 40 or uh-uh. 30. Ken was breaking the law. I wouldn't have knew that I was wrong because I didn't understand what the law was in those streets. So I didn't know I was doing wrong. But if the law is presented as in the Decalogue, the ten moral 
commandments of God and we realize we break it continually every day. Then we see that we need a Savior. Then we see through the Spirit of God the Christ who died for us to pay our debt. And we realize where we have been saved from and what we have been saved to. We have been saved, as it were, from the condemnation of Sinai and we're saved to move into Mount Sion. Does that make sense? So let me finish here because time's away past flu. In Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 2, it says, For the commandment is a lamp. Would you say lamp? For the commandment, notice the word, is a lamp. And the law is light. And reproofs of instruction are the way of life. So the commandment, uh, the word here for commandment, by the way, is the word for law or the Torah. It's the Torah we speak of. Uh, Pardon me, for the word law is light, it's Torah. Now notice here, for the commandment is a lamp and the law, the Torah, is is light. See the word commandment here? It's the word mitzvah. So even if you want the Jewish boys when they turn 13, you hear them have their bar mitzvah. And bar mitzvah means son of the commandment. Only they put on 613 commandments to add on to God's. So they're way off scale. They're way, way off. But that's what it means. And so really you and I should be bar mitzvah. You and I should be sons and daughters of the commandment. Now the commandment brings us to a place of condemnation. But in Christ, the blood of Jesus brings us from condemnation to no condemnation. But what about the commandment and Turn with me to Jeremiah 31. I'll pick up on this uh, again sometime, maybe possibly next week. Book of Jeremiah, please. 31. Verse 31. Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, the day has come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, though I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law. Where is it? In the inward parts. The law is in the inward parts. Notice. And write it in their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my, te- my, my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. What is he talking about? He's talking about what we broke bread around the table this morning. He's talking about the broken body of the Lord Jesus Christ the precious shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the new covenant that Jeremiah 31, 31 to 33, 34 is speaking about. And he's saying, but I'll take my law. Instead of having it in two tables of stone like Moses at Sinai, I'm going to write it on your heart. I'm going to write it right within you. So in other words, when you and I are sinning, failing, doing whatever before God. What does our conscience say? Because the Spirit of God's in us. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. Written in our hearts. If you get your chores on the fridge, the fridge magnet, write it out for the kids, stick it on the fridge. And you say, here's your chores for the day, and you go out and you come back again. They're not done. What happened to these? Ah, sorry, Mum. Sorry, Dad. Actually, I read them. I read them. And I did mean to do it, but 
As I walked away, I forgot all about them. Maybe you have kids and they leave chores on the fridge for you instead. But that's the commandments on the stone. You read them. You read them. Lord, all these will we keep, says Israel. We will do them. But as soon as they walk away, sure, soon after, they're forgotten. Just like your children with the fridge, the list on the fridge. But if they're brought up in that way, if they're brought up before the Lord like this, if it's in their heart, they will not depart from it. Because the Lord writes it in your heart. This word, mitzvah, uh, comes from a word that also means a heap of stones. Strange, isn't it? Just thinking about this, a heap of stones. In other words, the commandment, the mitzvah, the, the decalogue, the moral commandments of God, uh, you know, all those other uh, rituals were all done away in Christ, but the commandment, the, the ten com- commandments, the, the decalogue is... It's it's like a stone pillar. It's like the tables of stone. The the idea is, uh, I think it's in the Syriac uh, version, is that someone piles up stones. Do you remember when John the Baptist, remember Joshua coming through the the river of the twelve, the the Jordan, and it says, take the twelve stones out of the Jordan and pile them for remembrance? It's the idea. Do you remember John the Baptist comes and he's preaching to the Jews and they're rejecting Christ? Remember? He calls him a brood of vipers and all this. And he says, if you hold your peace, even the stones will cry out. It doesn't mean God's going to put me mouths and all these stones around. They'll all start shouting out. People have this wild idea that every stone around the outskirts of Jerusalem is going to grow a wee mouth and start speaking. It gives the idea, these stones, Joshua's stones, some believe it was the scattered Israel in the mount, uh, uh, throughout the nations that they would then come to faith in Christ. But the stones, the pillars, uh, remove not the ancient landmarks, the scripture says. Why? Because they bring us to somewhere and it speaks against it. And it reminds us. These stones will cry out, says John the Baptist. Remember Joshua's stones. How God brought them through. They will cry out against you. In other words, you'll see them. You'll be convicted of it. But when it's written in your heart, cries out to you. You go to steal. Ah, you can't do that. Thou shalt not steal. To kill. And so on. God bless his word to us this morning. Time's flowing. Time to come up, please.